I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. Leilani, welcome back to Pushback Talks. We're back. You know, we, yeah, we are back. We are back. And you've been busy as always. I've also been busy. You know, I was in Croatia and showing the film where the push shows in 10 theaters. It's really cool. And 10 cities, I mean. So it's, there is, it starts to happen things. But I know you've been a lot engaged in, I mean, you all the time talk to, to, to governments and people around the world, and I know you've been involved in the beautiful nation of Puerto Rico in the, in the Caribbean. I have been, just a little bit, attended an amazing conference and got to meet some amazing people uh, to talk about, believe it or not, in a tiny place like Puerto Rico, financialization of housing. We have a guest. So we should maybe bring in our guest right on. It's Ariadna Michel Godriot Aubert. It's like French singing names, but it's the slave history. It's the slave, uh, the colonial history that gave you those names. But welcome to Pushback Talks, Ariadna. Frederic Leilani, thank you for having me here. Um, grateful, simply grateful. So Puerto Rico is your 3.2 million people. You're kind of connected to the United States. But you don't get you don't get the good part of it. It seems like you get the bad part of it in some way. Can you explain this this strange relation you have to this this big nation? Yeah, briefly, Puerto Rico is a colony. Uh, Puerto Rico has been under colonial rules for more than 530 years, uh, first under Spain and since 1898 uh, under the U.S. Uh, Puerto Rico as a colony uh, lacks self determination. Um, the official status says that we are an unincorporated territory, that we belong, but that we are not part of the United States. What does that mean exactly? Like, do you vote the way all Americans on the mainland vote? In real terms, uh, Puerto Rico was a, a, a war bounty, uh, a war price um, that the United States won uh, after the Spanish War in 1898. Uh, since then, Puerto Rico has gone through several like uh, impositions of culture and political like structures. Like we had a militarized govern government uh, for the first decade of the 1900s. Uh, then we got a second class citizenship, which means that Puerto Ricans are citizens of the of the United States, but they can't vote uh, for the president and they don't have a voting uh, uh, power in the Congress. Uh, so most are, are although we are like bound by politics and we are bound by an economic structure, Puerto Rico's decision power, like it's very limited. It sounds like a very strange setup and running over years and years and years and years and years. Wow. So, but it's it's good to know. And you, you're a founder and you're an executive director of uh, Ayuda Legal Puerto Rico, which means legal assistance, I guess. Yeah, um, it, it, means, it means legal aid. Legal aid, yeah, right. Yeah, and we have been doing uh, legal empowerment work uh, for seven years now. So we are uh, the only legal housing advocacy uh, organization in Puerto Rico. Uh, we have been working with evictions, foreclosures, and more often with disaster survivors, not only like through legal aid, but also through uh, changing and shaping uh, the systemic structures that uh, choose who gets to live in under a roof and who doesn't. Yeah. 
Leilani, remember the Hurricane Maria was in September 2017, and we were sh we were actually out filming for Push. We were in New York City, in the UN, uh, and now we were also outside the Blackstone office, and we were like trying to, you know, you were about to have this meeting with Blackstone that got cancelled, but then you were in the midst of this, you were also active in your in your role as a UN Special Rapporteur, commenting on on the relief or the lack of relief for 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 the hurricane victims in, in Puerto Rico. So you've, you've been on this for a while, and I remember you being very upset. Yeah, it was, I mean, obviously, the extent of damage done by Maria, the hurricane was just, you know, well, historic. Uh, I think one of the worst uh, natural disasters that... Uh, the U.S. itself has seen. And that was just apparent to all of us, everyone, right away, even though I think the government reports were under-reporting deaths and sort of not minimizing the whole thing, but certainly minimizing the, the cost of uh, the cost to lives of, of the hurricane. And some rapporteurs, uh, we all agreed that what was happening, the lack of flow of resources. And I think Puerto Rico's in a very particular position where I think they can't receive aid from um, non-U.S. ships. And like there was all this stuff that was preventing aid flowing to Puerto Rico and it uh, particularly by the federal government. And we decided to write a communication. It may not have been the best communication in retrospect when I, you know, now that I know a little bit more about Puerto Rico. But anyway, you do your best uh, when you're working quickly with a group of people. So we did do that. I don't know if it had any impact. Maybe uh <laughs> Ariadna can tell us. But you uh, you were in the midst of this, Ariadna. Uh, the, 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 the hurricane struck and you were, uh, thousands of lives got lost and and hundreds of thousands of people lost their homes. Yeah, uh, like uh, Puerto Rico was very fragile back then. Like uh, we have been under an Australian debt crisis for uh, 10 years now when Hurricane Maria hits Puerto Rico. So we had an unsustainable debt, $73 billion. And we had uh, we have lost like the cabotage loss, which basically say that like you can use only use US chips, which are way more expensive. And that meant that when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, uh, like solidarity from Venezuela, from uh, nations in the Caribbean, from other places, basically got rotten in the in the ports because they could not bring it like to the shore and to the people that were desperately needing water, that were desperately needing food, medicines. And that is the context where we receive uh, like proofs of solidarity. And I remember that specific letter by UN special reporters, and it meant having a link to the outside because we, we felt pretty disconnected, you know, uh, um, because Puerto Rico is a colony, it's a colony that is not acknowledged as a colony, it's not part of the lists of official colonies in, in the UN. It has a, a, an invisibility uh, across the board and having that proof of solidarity uh you know there's a lot to discuss but it was important because it meant that people were seeing what what ha what was happening in, in puerto rico leilani i mean your letter meant something and i think that's good it's good to know that it's uh, to only to be seen and to be heard is important even if you if it doesn't really help you materially at the moment but it gives you some strength to 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 fight on yeah, I have, and I have heard that from other groups where, as you say, Ariadna, there's 
the feeling of isolation and aloneness in your struggle and the international community recognizing what's happening can be incredibly supportive and important to, and to help you carry on. But I'm interested to know where were you directly affected by the hurricane, you and your family? And and what just, I, I mean, you know, we see the images. We know there was total devastation, but maybe you can talk about, you know, like how many homes, how many families, what about informal settlements? I'm assuming they're, they were negatively affected with the least um, sound structures. Yeah. In our case, I was back then living in the co-op uh, with such a social interest housing where I was born and I was raised. Um, and I was like uh, pregnant uh, with my with Lucas. And um, we remember like total devastation, but we were living in a building, a concrete building like that was like a safe uh, for a lot of people that meant like not only losing their houses, but losing their land because the devastation of Maria, like it has to do with um, sea level rise. And we had like like a lot of, um, I would say that li- like land simply disappeared of specific places. Uh, we lost nearly 780,000 uh, houses, uh, which meant like total devastation for people in Puerto Rico that mo- many of them had concrete houses, but others are like were living in, in risk, risk zones. Like just to give you a number, like 24% of the people in Puerto Rico live in what is considered like medium to medium high risk zones. And that means places where floods happen or landslides happens. Um, and that has to do with climate change. You know, you, you, we, we say like the natural disaster of Hurricane Maria, but climate change was also like on top of, of everything else. We knew that this could happen. Like Puerto Rico is in the middle of the Caribbean. We knew that hurricanes come and go through our route and nothing was planning uh, uh, like to, to address the housing crisis and the climate crisis and then Maria happened and, and we had to, to look. Wow. And it's to our listeners, Puerto Rico has three, uh, around 3.2 million inhabitants. And then imagine if 700, more than 700,000 people lose their homes. So it means that everybody, everybody in Puerto Rico knows somebody who lost their home. I mean, it's like it's, 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 a, it's the, the scale of the national crisis is is humongous and it's like it's over the top and I didn't I didn't know that scale to be honest I knew it was a lot and I also remember that I mean one of the few things that came out which is like it's always this kind of the media is so focused on conflict was the the brave mayor of of San uh, San Juan uh, who was then a woman Carmen Julian Cruz she took the she spoke out against the president uh, president Trump and uh, in a very nice way, that some, I mean, a strong woman who's, who fought uh, an ignorant uh, president. In the end, what I understand, Trump used uh, the aid to build the wall to Mexico instead of using the money in, in, in Puerto Rico. It's, it's kind of shameful or it's extremely shameful. Yeah, it's it's extremely shameful. Like uh, politics to to Puerto Rico are always like based on on an array racist structure, and it's something that it's on the cases decided by the Supreme Court when they spoke about a different culture in Puerto Rico in very like in a very bad way. Uh, but it's also present on the way that politics are made, you know. And when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico, we remember having that discussion, and we were, do we really have to go through a discussion about building a wall, like to kill people who? look like us, who talk like us, who are like us, 
or like uh, like uh, like asking for aid. And that idea that survivors were expecting charity, that survivors were expecting like uh, a favor, was um, horribly focused. Like when that president came to Puerto Rico and he threw uh, um, a paper towel roll to the to the to the general public, and that image of you know just being happy about how happy it was Puerto Rico. Um, it was a perfect picture of where we were at uh, in this like broader disaster capitalism like framework. Yeah, mm. and Leilani, this brings me you you have a a co-Canadian um, yes. writer Naomi Klein, yes. who's been writing the shock doctrine, but she's also been looking into to Puerto Rico, and it's obviously I mean, and and Naomi Klein's theory is that that you use natural disasters, political disasters, to kind of change the facts on the ground. And so I guess you can see that already, that the shock doctrine is working on, on in Puerto Rico, the, the flood of money coming in, taking over people's uh, land and homes. Definitely. Like, um, I would tell you, like, just to give you a, and, and you mentioned Blackstone and TPG, which are like the, the equity partners, like, uh, they came to Puerto Rico right after the hurricane and they came to Ayuda Legal Puerto Rico's office and they were like, what can we do about the foreclosures? And maybe you, sh you should stop doing them. Uh, that could be like an option. Uh, <laughs> but they were trying like to save face, uh, we would say like after the disaster. Uh, Naomi Klein came to Puerto Rico and it also became like a way to start like moving a discussion on who are the people benefiting uh, from the disaster. And a couple of things happened. 2016, one year before Maria, the the U.S. under Obama imposed a fiscal control board, a board of seven unelected people who were making the decisions about fina finances. Finances have to do with public policy. There's no way around it. Um, so they started doing this. And then uh, right after Hurricane Maria, these same members like went to different places in the U.S. and they started talking, saying that Puerto Rico was a drunkard that has just like hit rock bottom uh, with the process of the hurricanes. Uh, like phrases like this is a moment to invest this is a great opportunity uh puerto rico has been power washed uh were some of the phrases that were used by that narrative like using the disaster to say that there has been a replacement of population there are a lot of vacant houses or at least vacant spaces that now we can use to rebuild something better and the government instead of counting the death people or of acknowledging a death toll was very interested in making these summits for foreign investors to come to Puerto Rico and speculate over over the land, and 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 that was the disaster response that we got. How do you see that, Leilani? One of the things that um, I found so powerful about Naomi Klein's work is, for me, it's the emotion. Well, I always like the emotions in something because that's what uh, drives humans to act, good and bad. But it's the shock part of her shock doctrine that's so important. The idea that you have a nation in shock because of, in the case of Puerto Rico, a natural disaster or climate-related disaster, and, and that global capital will use the shock of the nation to their advantage and gain huge profits, a foothold on land, etc. 
off the backs of other people's misery. And I mean, it's it actually played itself out in the global financial crisis in the US on the mainland as well, uh, using the shock of a global financial crisis to benefit Blackstone in particular. So I just find that it's so sinister. Um, it makes me very emotional because you have people in there in, I mean, you described for us just briefly, but I could feel that experience of post hurricane. And I, I visited Katrina, and uh, sorry, New Orleans after Katrina, and talked to many people experiencing that post um, disaster, uh, emotional life. And to think that there are people out there praying, and governments, even worse, governments enabling this, allowing this to flourish, setting up setting up bodies like that, that body you talked about. It, for me, it's just so, it's, it's heart-wrenching. So Ariadna, there is, there is obviously like an invasion of investors coming into Puerto Rico now. So how do you, who are they and what are they looking for? What, what do they, can you see what is in, in their mindset? What are they looking for? Yeah, so uh, I totally agree with what Leilani was just saying. It's like uh, they were waiting for the perfect uh, opportunity. So we had in 2012, that would be five years before Hurricane Maria, the governor uh, then started approving laws to incentivize uh, like uh, um, investments. This laws, Law 20, Law 22, started like depicting Puerto Rico as a tax haven. And the idea, the actual idea of the of the ads were come to Puerto Rico, invest here. And Puerto Rican women were depicted as people like bringing, bringing them cocktails in the beach with this idea of a visitor's economy, economy scheme. Uh, that helped like people like millionaires, like cryptocurrency, uh, we're talking about a cryptopia and uh, everybody else like started like coming to Puerto Rico, Airbnb, um, you name it, we have them here. Like um, Richard Proudy, um, like it's the same people over and over again. And we started like matching the names of hedge funders and investors that were coming in and people who were buying actual huge chunks of land of vacant buildings who were already devastated, uh, but that people didn't have the capital to, to, to fix them. Um, so, uh, that happened. And at the same time, like we had another influx of people who were, uh, looking at, at Puerto Rico as a place to do, uh, real estate, to start selling, to start accumulating properties, uh, trying to build more hotels. And something happened because nothing is accidental that Hurricane Maria served as a perfect scenario, talking about Chuck Doctrine, to start like pointing to people with informal titles, pointing to people with informal structures as you are the issue, you need to move, where you're living is dangerous, but at the same time, it's a perfect site to build this like Hilton like or a reserve uh, hotel that would be amazing in, in that same place. Uh, so it's 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 th those tensions like really like skyrocketed after Maria. The, the laws that you talked about, Act 20 and 22, let me make sure I understand. So it's the government of the U.S., like the mainland that passes that or the or the governor in Puerto Rico. Where does that where do those laws come from? These are local laws. Local. This is Puerto Rico. Right. This is Puerto Rico and laws. Yeah. They basically make it that you don't pay any federal tax on capital gains um, and corporate taxes very, very low, as I understood it, like 4% versus 20% if you were under US laws or something like a huge, huge benefit to bring in these investors. 
It's it's so huge that for new residents of Puerto Rico that come through these laws, uh, they can receive even a hundred percent of exemption on 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 their on their wins on their capital gains. So it's uh, and and the contribution that they have to make it's it's minimum. It's like creating four jobs. Is and these are low uh, quality jobs. So there's no accountability about it. Uh, so we have those two laws, and also we got a federal law that was imposed by Trump's administration that states opportunity zones, which are places where you can invest and you can this have all of these incentives like adding up. Uh, and in the case of Puerto Rico, 98% of the island uh, is an opportunity zone. So it's it's like basically like cleaning the board so that you can have investors like play with how would the island look like. And disaster capitalism and disaster recovery has played like a, a very uh, important role in how would that cleaning that slate for them uh, would look like. Ariadna, what, you, what you're describing now is like, it's, it is like a horror movie. And it's, it's, it's like, it's a, in some way, it's a very depressing story about this, all this money that flows. It's like quite often tax evasive money. It's criminal money. And it's all floods towards where they can make, where they can grow their money even more. So, but then we have the sun, the light, and that's you and your people. You're actually fighting back. So tell us more about your work. How do you... What is your strategy? How do you fight back these 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 monsters? Frederick, um, and people are, are pushing back and people are fighting back. Uh, like uh, after Maria, people were waiting for the government uh, to do something, to answer, to respond. After the earthquakes uh, in 2020, we saw a shift. People were not waiting anymore. People came out. People went to the streets. People started distributing water, distributing resources. Nobody was expecting uh, for the government to show up. People like took the supply warehouses where food was being uh, like hidden away from from communities. Uh, in 2019, people like like went out to the streets and they took out a government a governor now we know the names of the investors we know that these are the same people behind the hedge funders we have lost 12 percent of the population in the last 10 years people that has left the island because it's easier to relocate to orlando florida than to move from one municipality to the other because of austerity but now we know because everybody has lost has, has lost somebody and people are pushing back and i think that the piece about legal empowerment and about adopting human rights now narratives, human rights practices, practices that start by saying, I am entitled to, I own, I cannot be dispossessed from my house, from my uh, community, are like the main narrative right now in communities and in organizations in in, 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 here, uh, in Puerto Rico. At Ayuda Legal Puerto Rico, uh, we have been talking about the right to housing uh, constantly, not only against expropriations or informal settlements, which is like a big part of, of our history, but also about evictions and foreclosure, foreclosures. Because we have normalized that people owe in Puerto Rico. That's the public debt narrative. You owe, you failed. It wasn't the government, it wasn't the, cor the corrupt people, you owe. And they started like embodying us, like people who failed with this like racial stereotypes of the people who are, who depend of when, of, on, on welfare, who are like bad, uh, like paying back. And now, because we speak about the right to housing, we know that we don't owe. When people can afford a rent, can afford a, a home, they, they don't owe 
we are entitled to um, safe housing. We are entitled to security of tenure. We are entitled to a dignity that cannot be decided at a court, that cannot be decided by a financial institution. And that, that is accompanied by legal support, by legal empowerment, by knowing your rights, is a change of narrative. And it's, uh, and it's huge, it's huge. I know you're for Leilani, she's smiling because this is her language. This is like her mission. That's not, that's that's not why I'm smiling, but keep going, Frederick. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really cool. I mean, because we, we, we've been, I mean, you've seen my film, but you've also, all our podcasts, are, we're, we're, we are talking to citizens who are affected in more or less in the same way uh, and put under stress because of this extreme flow of money into our homes but how I'm, I'm interested to see how so you're shifting the narrative do you think you can also shift the politics and we have we have uh like when disaster assistance like uh was needed in puerto rico in the aftermath of maria there was a huge discourse and legal interpretations based on the fact that people with informal titles half of the population could not have a right to disaster assistance and instead of criminalizing those people of joining those who said you know those were people who were in like informal settlements they don't deserve blah 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 like uh, people decided to back them up even people without a formal title and fighting for the people for informal title to be acknowledged to be able to gather us to, to, to get assistance to not like diminish the efforts like four years after the disasters and continue backing up the people with informal titles not to get them to go for formal titles but to get them to be acknowledged as as owners as, as people entitled uh, that was a change of policy and that has required years but it has also shown the government that we are not like uh in this like game over and over again when we get hit and then we get to be okay and then we get hit and then we owe like somebody to be fine and to be joyful um so yes we have changed politics and we are coming for more you know we want more i love that i i i i, I exactly like like that <laughs> we want more we this is not enough because you've You've been under this for centuries, yeah. and it's obviously it has to change. It's, it's kind of clear, Leilani. Well, the reason I was smiling was actually because while it is my language, and I obviously am very wedded to human rights frameworks, um, one of the things that we always say about the human rights framework is that it shifts the narrative away from a charity-based model um, to one where people have entitlement and our rights holders and, and they're claiming the rights. And I can't think of a better example than what's happening in Puerto Rico, where that is exactly what you're doing on the ground is shifting that narrative away from, as you, you, I mean, you put it more eloquently than I can, but debtors to rights holders. And I think that's going to be huge as you push for more. I can, I can count on one hand, the number of places where uh, non papered uh, title to land has been recognized. Very few places. I can think of a community in Mexico. There's some, some of this is happening in India, but it's very rare to get a, that kind of political win where you're being understood as having title to land without, you know, a piece of paper documenting it. 
that I think is huge. And, and I think it's a great base to keep going for more. So what's next? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I was in a talk um, when Push was shown in, uh, in a, at a conference in Belgium and I was in the, in the panel afterwards. And there was actually somebody working with Puerto Rico and, and the land trust. And, where, and so you tell, me, tell us more about this land trust because it's like it seems to be a model that it, it's kind of inspirational. Yeah, the, basically the community land trust that you're mentioning, the Caño Martin Peña, is uh, an initiative to try to uh, face uh, investors and also speculation over a land that was uh, of a very low-income community, but also a community with a long story of resistance. And they decided for collective ownership as a way to maintain the social tissue uh, for not to be displaced like on an individual basis. I think that the seal that this community land trust like if anything it shows uh the way that collective power can help uh like shape the identity of a community so people like all over the world uh like when we're talking to housing people or people working with land justice they know who el caño is and um taking back that identity you know instead of being a slum or being deemed a blight by the u.s or the local government um has been a shift of narrative that actually became like policies and that became a structure and that became a fight that other communities in Puerto Rico and elsewhere uh, look after. Hmm. I mean, all over the world, we know that people who live in so-called slums, they don't have the legal papers of their homes normally. So that's why it is easier to just kick them out. But then also in, in Puerto Rico, you also have a lot of foreclosures of people who, where people actually own their homes as, as a part of the, the financial crisis that also I mean, hit part of the U.S. and Spain and many other countries. So, so a lot of people are sitting with uh, who can't pay their mortgages, I guess. Frederick, we have uh, homes that are underwater two times, homes that are underwater because they're undervalued, but also that they have been extremely damaged by the hurricanes. And yet the financial institutions, like uh, they uh, follow the people to get their money uh, back. And, you know, when you get foreclosed, there's a feeling of solitude. People don't open the letters. People don't want to answer the phone. There's a lot of people actually being sued in federal courts in the U.S. because the second market bought the, the, the mortgages and they sue people on the federal court. Uh, a lot of Puerto Ricans do not uh, like uh, speak English. And we have a lot, a long history of federal prosecution of people in Puerto Rico. And when people get a letter in English that says that the federal court is summoning you, the fear that they have, am I going to jail? Am I gonna lose them, my kids? These are the questions. And when you try to shift that from shame to grace, or you try to shift that from feeling alone to understanding that this is part of a broader crisis and that it's not fair, that it's inequitable, like people realize that. We have cases that we have won because people have self-defended themselves. And we have this particular case of a woman uh, that she came to one of our workshops after talking to us via one of the helplines. And she said, I came here because you talked to me for the first time that I have a right to housing. And I have had my stuff in the trunk of my car for a month, waiting for the bank to come in and foreclose my house and take me out of my, um, and my kids. And she said, but you told me that I had, that I had a right and then I just want to sit here and to experiment what does that feels like. And I talk to you about this and, and I get goosebumps. I've been doing this job for 12 years, like legal popular education work. And every time you talk to people about rights, they know. 
And it doesn't need to be in a paper. It doesn't need to be in a constitution. It doesn't need to be in an international document to be ratified. It's something that we have and everything else like comes after. And because we know that, because people know that, financial institutions know that we are coming after them uh, to demand accountability, to demand reparations too. And to demand that this is not this is not a business. You are not renting a house in the beach uh, for some investors. This is about somebody's roof. And if you decided to go into this business, then we have to speak about other terms, and that has to do with with a lot of accountability uh, on the table. Mm. I mean, this business. I mean, it's thank you, Ariana. You give me goosebumps also when you are speaking, and it's and I, it's it's cool, and and we need we need to hear your story it's it's inspirational for people because people are struggling in many countries around the world against the same kind of guys i mean you can see this you talked about this already in push leilani when the blackstone guy was sitting at university in miami talking about how how could you get all these fifty thousand homes yeah it, maybe the financial crisis was useful you could grab fifty thousand homes but this is what you see you buy mortgages and then you resell them to somebody else. It's like, you know, it's, I mean, here in my country, we have, I mean, like the Hells Angels or Bandidos. They're also buying people's debts, you know, and then they knock on doors, you know. So it's a business to buy debts. And then you, the more brutal you are, the more you can win. And it's it's a very low point in, in human history when when... You can sit at the office somewhere in New York and buy people's homes and then send them legal letters uh, in a different country. You know, it's it's brutal. It is brutal. Although I love how Ariadna has captured the power of human rights. We always say that people know their human rights viscerally in their gut. They know when they have been denied dignity, self-respect, um, the things that are required for uh, human survival. Um, and and I think you just captured that in such a lovely way. I wanted to ask you, I recall you have a manifesto uh, with several points. What's happening with it? What do you hope to do with it? Where's it going? How's it going? So uh, people do like have a visceral knowledge of the rights. Um, and I think that we need to talk a little bit more about violations and not like stories of war, but violations that are, uh, need a remedy uh, that are entitled to remedies. And that has a lot to do with the right to housing, you know, coming from a very low income, like impoverished family myself, I remember that talking about hunger, talking about what you don't have in the fridge, talking about not being able like to afford the light or the electricity or the power or water. These are things of shame. We don't speak about them publicly. Uh, so the idea of bringing the, those conversations to the table, and I always start work, I start workshops with talking about the fridge, talking about what you what you brought to the to school to eat, what were you able to afford your family, to start breaking that feeling of shame. Um, the manifest basically takes like five points about accountability, about who's responsible, about uh, the fact that crises do not affect all people equally, but they affect women, but they affect black communities in particular and we put them in a manifest that basically is a yes and Frederick you were saying something that we need to resist and resistance is usually a no no I don't want this I don't want to be displaced I don't want to be foreclosed but resistance needs to be grounded on hope on a yes I am entitled to 
I have a right to. And this manifest is basically an action plan that is that is in, in five very simple premises. The idea is to have organizations in Puerto Rico and from other places to endorse it. And right now we are calling for very, very small like discussion groups to speak about how does an action plan looks like, uh, uh, like, uh, like starting there. And uh, the result has been uh, amazing. Uh, like to have people speak about, you know, the housing, the housing justice fight is not only yours or your communities, but it's an international fight. Uh, what's happening here, it's happening in Detroit, in California, in Toronto, in Sweden, it's happening everywhere. Uh, so, um, and that idea, and that is something that Ayuda Legal Puerto Rico, I try to ground on this work of being accompanied. We never say represent, we accompany people and we are accompanied by people. And um, it's, that's, that's where the manifest is going. While that's happening, we're pushing for a very specific bill, um, which is basically grounding this effort, which says at times of disasters, the new you can season starts in 20 days. Uh, you don't get to foreclose or evict no one. And when we presented the bill and we go, when we got multi-partisan support, the bank started going crazy, saying that we are good saying that they are the victims, they actually said that, uh, saying that it's very inequitable because like debtors have us and they have no one, uh, saying that they do a social labor and saying that they self-regulate themselves. We don't need a law because we do that on our, on our own terms. Um, and having that pushback from them also tells us that it's, it's the correct way to go. Exactly. Amazing, exactly. Amazing. You're an inspiration, Ariadna, and your people. We will put up a link to your websites on uh, on the blurbs of this uh, this episode, so you can go in and and find out more about the work that uh, Ayuda Legal Puerto Rico is doing, the Legal Aid of Puerto Rico. Uh, do you have any information in English out there? I think there's few, uh, but I can send no you a importa couple of links. tanto. There is always a Google translation. It's yes, va super bien. Um, we're actually going to, to wrap up uh, because, uh, yeah. It's time. It's, it's, it's time. time. <laughs> but it's, ah, Ariadna, un placer. Thank you, Leilani. Fantástico. Eh, ahora quiero venir gracias, a, a Puerto Rico para conocer más. Claro. Y además tenemos claro que, que sí. mostrar a, a Push in, 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 in San Juan. Yes, Por favor, definitely. por favor, let's do that. We're going to show Push in San Juan. And, and, and I mean... It would be amazing. That would be amazing. We will, we will make it happen. We have we have translations also in Spanish, of course. It's been shown in a lot of countries around uh, Latin America. Uh, Leilani, we're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. I'm so inspired. I've I've from the minute I met Ariadna till now, I have felt um, incredible hope for Puerto Rico, but also more broadly. Um, I see sometimes, you know, I sit in my office and I think. Oh, right to housing. Does it resonate? Is it can it really is it the framework that I think it is? Can it really do what I think it can do? And I think the work in Puerto Rico is showing how important it really is. I'm, I'm I feel really good. I can go go on with my day. Also doing this podcast, Leilani, is like we I mean, we've been with amazing people in Athens, in Beirut, in Zagreb, in Berlin, in Barcelona. There's there's a lot of people doing very strong pushback work right now and to see and to and we can all learn from each other that's uh, that's also the point we're doing this podcast that we can get inspiration for Puerto Rico to be used 
in Toronto, I mean, the land trust idea is, is, is also happening in other countries, but your example is like a very strong one. So it's, this, is, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Leilani, you, now you have to tell us how we fund this show. Well, we don't fund the show, but we're trying to. <laughs> we need Patreons. You can become a Patreon and support us with, I don't know, $5 a month, $2 a month, a coffee for Frederick. Coffees are expensive in Sweden, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But good, oh, so good. They're really good, that's true. Mm. And, and um, you can also support us by telling your friends about the podcast, uh, to invite more to listen and to promote the podcast through your own social media because that's you know we don't we don't have money for for ads on facebook on twitter we it's only we you know if if you have mighty enemies you need many friends and as we now know we have listeners in 110 countries it's it's kind of a lot of friends so and if every listener brings in another one or two or three or four or five more we will grow stronger so that's the pushback talks for today and and muchas gracias Ariadna thank you thank you all gracias Leilani gracias Frederick thank you so much wonderful to have you here Leilani thank you and thanks Frederick walk the dog (laughs) see you bye bye to watch push visit pushthefilm.com You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.